Welcome to Everybody Hates Me, Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. She's a Canada Research Chair in Global Health Equity and Social Justice with Marginalized Populations and an Associate Professor at the University of Toronto's Factor in Wintosh Faculty of Social Work. Every week, the show features amazing speakers from around the world talking about stigma from research, lived experiences, and activism perspectives. Why should we care about stigma? What can we do about it? Thank you for tuning in. Let's start the show. Today, I am really excited to introduce to the listeners two guests. We are so lucky to have two guests today to talk about stigma. And so the first guest is somebody I met, I don't even know when, <laughs> a long time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> a long time ago. Dr. Andrea Grunier, who is an associate professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Alberta. She is an epidemiologist by training, and her research focuses on the health care needs of older adults, in particular as related to the use of home and long-term care services. Her area of research includes end-of-life care, transitions between care settings, and developing quality measures of care. I think I first met you at Women's College Hospital when I was doing my postdoc. That's right, yeah. And then we were both living in Calgary in 2012, and we used to meet at this beautiful little place for tea. In Kensington, yeah. It was such a cute spot. (laughs) I can't remember the name of that spot, but... It'll come to me later, I'm sure. But yeah, it was a great little spot. (laughs) And my next guest I have never met until now, but I'm really, really excited um, to introduce you to Jim Mann, who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in February 2007 at the age of 58. Since that time, he has been active in the community, breaking down stereotypes and assumptions about people living with a diagnosis of dementia by volunteering in the community, collaborating with research projects, and through his writing as a published author. He has many accolades, past board member of the Alzheimer's Society of Canada and the Alzheimer's Society of BC. In 2018, was appointed to the Federal Minister of Health's first advisory board on dementia with a focus on a national dementia strategy, which was released the following year. He's a member of VOICES, the Patient Engagement Advisory Group with Trek at the University of Alberta as well as other things. Quite busy, Jim. So lovely to meet you today. Thank you. The first thing I want the listeners to know is from your own perspective. If you're in an elevator, imagine there's no COVID. So we're not all wearing masks and like physically distancing in an elevator. And we're just going up one floor. And someone says, so what, what is your passionate that you do work around? How would you each describe in your own words on this elevator ride what you do? Maybe we'll start with Jim. Well, my passion is, um, is education around, uh, around uh, Alzheimer's. So I advocate to educate. There's my elevator speech. I love that. Advocate to educate. I like that. That's awesome. How about you, Andrea? What, what is your sort of elevator ride description of what you do? I would say I focus on trying to better serve people who have long-term care needs and thinking about health and care beyond hospitals and doctors and how we support people 
who need it within their homes or where they choose to make their homes. Amazing. Oh, such a great duo we have today. Super, <laughs> like the superheroes. I was, I was reading somewhere yesterday that the superheroes are like often coming good duos. So I want to show up. Okay, this time I'll start with, with Andrew. I'm going to show up to Edmonton, where you are now, in a time machine. And my time machine has space for physically distancing. And I want to say, <laughs> bring me back to the time and place where you're like, I want to do this work. Where, where would we go? Oh, that's a good question. I think my experience goes way back, actually, to even my experiences working and volunteering as an undergraduate student when I worked for a few years in recreation in a long-term care home. And so I really got a different view of life in long-term care. And as people's needs change drastically, I work with very heavy care individuals and how actually limiting it was for them to be able to leave the facility. A big part of my job was running outings. So taking people to restaurants, to special events and things like that. And it was eye opening to learn about how inaccessible mm. almost the entire city of Toronto was at the time. Yeah. And the challenges around communication and developing the skills for that. And at around that same time when I was doing my undergraduate, I did my undergraduate thesis with a really established gerontologist who was known for her work around how stigma and our perceptions, um, certain stereotypes related to aging impact how we communicate with mm -hmm. other people and how that reinforces those stereotypes. And so it was all of those things that came together, even though I don't quite work in that area anymore. I shifted to this more health services focus. It's really what originally informed how I think about aging and why I think many of these issues are so important. And that when we think about how we build a more inclusive society around, whether it's age or mental illness or whatever it might be, it, it's more inclusive for everybody, regardless, mm -hmm. whatever their own abilities are. Yeah, and I want to later in this conversation bring in how COVID-19 is really impacting people in long-term care and our perspectives towards people who are older as well. So we'll, we'll, well get there. Be, we'll get there later. Sorry, Jeff. That'll be a whole different show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you saying, okay, all right, 2.0 people, 2.0. Yeah, this is just 1.0 right now. So Jim, if I'm going to come to Vancouver, which... I love Vancouver. I'm not saying I don't love Edmonton. I haven't been there very much, but I also love Vancouver. <laughs> and I show up in, to your place with my time machine and I say, when did you decide that stigma um, around Alzheimer's was something you wanted to advocate, to educate about? Where would we go in the time machine? Oh, but first of all, Andrea, you didn't say where we would go. Where was your undergrad? Oh, was it McMaster? Okay, so you go to Hamilton. Yeah. So Jen, we're back, we're at you. Where would we go in the time machine to, to know when, when you were like, stigma is something I need to do something about? We wouldn't go far. We'd go to, uh, to Vancouver um, and 58, 2007. So it would be, I don't know, a number of, uh, uh, X number of years before 2007. Um, my father had passed away and my mother was living in her, in the condo. And, um, 
oh, I guess we were still living in Ottawa at the time. So we came out in 94. So it'd be in the uh, mid 90s that she gradually needed a little bit more assistance and, and uh, she never drove. So uh, she, a neighbor, she used to say, oh, you know, he'd come. He's come around to get my list, and and would do his uh, mom's shopping for her. And we used to say, "Why don't you go with him? You know, you do the shopping, and and he'll drive you there." And and she was very happy not to. And and then you know, we'd sometimes say, "Well, why don't you just go for a little walk? You know, go around the block or something." And she wouldn't do that. And my mother was an introvert and so we just sort of chalked it up to being an introvert and then when we moved back to vancouver we then she moved into an independent living apartment and that's where i really saw the stigma around around dementia because my mother did have alzheimer's and and uh, i remember one day sitting on the Chesterfield in the lounge waiting to go in for lunch and I saw these two ladies and it just oh my god it just brought back schoolyard visions and and because these two ladies were looking over at us and I and they were talking between each other and I thought oh what has my mother done now um, and then another time I went to uh, the dining room shortly that would be around the end of their lunch period and um they always sat at the same table and my mother wasn't there but yet the table was filled you know had the four people around it and uh, so i said oh where's my mother and i found out that they had actually had her moved um uh, probably because they got tired of her questions or you know the same stories or whatever and uh, so i really really understood the stigma at that point and then she moved into long-term care and i saw some of that even there uh whether it be from staff or whatever and so when i was diagnosed uh, my mother was still alive at that point still living so i combined my experiences with my mother mm -hmm. with um my own diagnosis but also combining that with my business experience because i had been a lobbyist for my employer for eight years in ottawa and uh, so i was you know a communicator and an, and an advocate so uh, i took that on and now i i do it for no pay <laughs> Thank, well, thank you for the work you're doing right now for everybody. And it's so, so sad to hear that you had to see that happen with your mom. Interesting experiences. Yeah. My grandfather had Alzheimer's and lived for many years in an institution in uh, the UK. And I remember visiting him and the institution, because it, there wasn't any place he could go that wasn't a psychiatric institution. So there was just a lot of stigma around that institution mm -hmm. itself, regardless of diagnosis. But I'm sure the experience that, you know, people have, and this is my next question is what, what do the listeners need to know about why the stigma around dementia and Alzheimer's, why does it matter? Like what's the big deal about 
the stigma around these health issues. <laughs> <laughs> this is my, it's my, I always ask this question on the podcast. What's the big deal? I know it's a big deal, but I want to know from your perspective, why should we care? I think we, the stigma around Alzheimer's impacts the individual, impacts the individual from living the life that they could be living, should be living. I shared a stage with a couple a number of years ago, and uh, the husband had dementia, and, and his wife was speaking for the two of them, and she said that at that point, they were telling friends and neighbors that her husband had a series of TIAs, the small strokes, and were not telling them uh, that he had a diagnosis of dementia. Wow. And that, to me, stings because it, it stops you from, um, from too many things. I mean, uh, you're, you're, if you can't be honest with your with your friends, if you can't be, well, and in fact, I, there was a woman that was in my support group for a while. When she was diagnosed, she went home and didn't even tell her daughter. Wow. And why was that? Because of the stigma that she had internalized so much that she couldn't bear to utter the word. And she only decided to tell her daughter and go out into the community after she read an article in, an, in a newsletter from the Alzheimer's Society about something that I had done a number of years ago. And, and uh, wow. so she, she thought, you know, if he can do it, so can I. And, but until that point, she had, you know, basically locked herself in a room. And that wow. to me is the saddest thing. Yeah, Absolutely. Andrew, did you want to add anything about why we should all care? Yeah, I think it is important to really understand a couple of aspects of it. Like Jim said, it prevents people from really living the lives they could be living. But it also prevents people from getting the care or support they need, right? If, if you're very concerned about getting a diagnosis of dementia or something like that, how likely are you to bring that up to your doctor? Um, and then mm. the longer that gets delayed, perhaps the harder it is for the people around you who might be helping to provide the daily support or care as people's needs advance. If you're unable to talk about the realities of having a diagnosis and what that goes along with it, then how can you ever get support for yourself or for the people who are close to you? I think the other thing that's really important is people, and we've talked about this before, Jim, Jim's definitely talked about this. People assume the day you get that diagnosis is the day everything shuts down. You should lose your license, lose your job, lose access to this or that, the ability to participate in society in certain ways, when the reality is people can live with moderate to milder forms of dementia for quite a long time. And even as it advances still, although their capabilities may change, certainly still participate in their communities and society in very impactful and meaningful ways. And so it is important that people understand just because somebody has a diagnosis, it doesn't mean they can't or they shouldn't or they won't. Mm -hmm. There are all kinds of ways that people can still participate. One thing also I just want to come back to more broadly beyond dementia is the stigma around aging as well. Mm -hmm. right? I was, I was going to ask you, why do we have the stigma? 
And I was wondering what, what is relationships with where stigma around aging? So, yes. yeah. So aging is a, is a huge one. I mean, I think we have all know, especially in our society, there's nothing worse that can happen to somebody than to get old. Right. <laughs> and we make all kinds of jokes about senior moments and, oh, they're losing their marbles as they get older or falling apart as you get older. And there is a reality for some age-related changes in people's health and their physicality. But to write people off in that way is really a problem. We automatically disenfranchise this huge segment of our society who participate and contribute in so many ways, whether we're talking about the role of family caregivers, grandparents, Mm -hmm. people in the workforce, various forms of volunteerism, advocacy, as we've seen with Jim. And it's it's really unfortunate that we use age or physical ability or um, cognitive abilities as this, this marker for where people's participation is. Thank you for explaining that. And it's been interesting. I'm working on this book right now. And one of the chapters I co-wrote with my Indigenous colleague, Dr. Candice Lewis in the Northwest Territories. And I've had a couple other people on this podcast who are Indigenous and really talking about how elders are more valued in different cultures. And, and, you know, even in our work in the Northwest Territories with adolescents, we always involve an elder who just turned 80 uh, yeah, this week. But it's valuing the deep wisdom and knowledge and so much experiences. Yeah, it just seems like why is, you know, it, it just seems ridiculous that, mm-hmm. that we stigmatize people who have the most knowledge. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Jim, go ahead. Carmen, I, I think that, I guess sort of adding to or, or supplementing what, what Andrea and I have both said is the feeling within society that contributes to the stigma uh, of, well, of aging, but of dementia. Because the Alzheimer's Society issued a polling data uh, two or three years ago that said that 46% of respondents uh, would feel ashamed or embarrassed if they had dementia. Wow. So that's, that's just even thinking about it. makes So that if you have the ageism and then you, on top of that, have dementia, it is, it is a, a, something that no one wants to talk about uh, because you know, 50% of all Canadians don't believe they could even live well with dementia. So it's, it's, it's combining two things that you're, you're, you're not unhappy, at least that you are unhappy about, and that literally scare you. And so consequently, it has that stigma attached to it. Thank you for bringing that up. And, and both of your comments make me think that may and you're the expert so tell me if this is right but is the stigma rooted in fear of aging as well as a lack of information about uh, the possibilities that people can have in their life and the possibilities of living with alzheimer's and dementia i also imagine there's something around um the way that as as andrew mentioned that people are devalued as our cultural norms that devalue people. So I'm just wondering, like, why do we have, like, what is driving this stigma? And it, is, is it fear? Is it information? Is it kind of a combination? 
Not like we have one answer, but just by a lot. <laughs> well, I think there's, there is the fear, um, but I, I would suggest that there is no lack of information. Uh, I mean, there's certainly lots online or there's, you know, the Alzheimer's Society information or information that others can provide. Uh, but there was a fellow I know um, who got a diagnosis and, and with no history in the family. So it sort of came out of left field. He went home and, you know, did the usual Google and, and but what he found were all negative stories, oh. all negative information. And uh, it took about six months before he, uh, he found a video that, that I had done with the city of Vancouver to realize that, yes, you can live and, and live well with dementia. But uh, so it's, it's that kind of um, access to information that you can get that is positive, that will help you. But a lot of people, because of that fear, because of the stigma, don't do that. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to a couple of people a few years ago, both of them had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and, uh, but they were, you know, really floundering, like, um, you know, looking for support and, and information. And, <laughs> and the question was asked, well, have you gone to the Alzheimer's Society? No. <laughs> And I've never, I've never quite understood that. When you have the diagnosis, you don't go, you know, to the society. So it's, um, I don't know, Andrea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think fear is a huge aspect of it. It's the fear of the unknown. The fear of cha- change is always scary, right? Even good change is scary. I think I agree with Jim that there's a lot of information, but the flip side, there's a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of things that we still trade in that are just these old stereotypes, these myths, these ideas that have just, uh, you know, not gone away yet, despite what we know more and more about how dementia is different from um, other forms of aging or age related changes and things like that. But to me, another big piece is that part of the fear is the lack of support, really. Mm. So there are places like the Alzheimer's Society, which are great avenues for peer support, for information, for connections like that. But COVID has been a great example of how many of these things have fallen apart, right? We don't do a great job of adequately supporting the people who are doing the day-to-day care or support needs for people with dementia, whether that's in a home environment, like it's the spouse or an adult child or a neighbor who's filling that role, or it's a paid caregiver. We really don't do a good job. And nursing homes or long-term care homes, just depends where you are, what they're called, are so feared. I mean, people just have such horrible ideas about them. And sometimes they're warranted, right? We do hear some horror stories, but you know, there are some surveys like more than half of people would rather be dead than to end up in a nursing home, that kind of thing. It's really knowing that we can, if your needs change, can you get the care where you still will feel like yourself, 
like you can live with dignity, with support, that there are people who are, who are really looking out for you. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's all of that tied in there. Yeah. So a lot of, is there just, you know, sometimes there's so much information or not enough, but it might even be our fear of having to manage that information. So thank you both. You're so brilliant. I have, and my next question is, can you describe for the listeners an example? Um, and, and I know uh, Jim has provided some examples, but if there's any other examples that you want the listener to really think about, about what does either age-related stigma look like in a day-to-day experience of someone waking up and going through their day, or maybe if that stigma is specifically related to um, dementia or Alzheimer's. And I know, Jim, you gave a great example of people deciding not even to tell people about the diagnosis, whether it's someone's daughter or their friends. So that like hiding this really important information is is one example. Are there other sort of day-to-day interactions or examples that you think would be helpful for the listener to be able to recognize the stigma when it's happening and maybe to either stop it or not not perpetuate that stigma? One illustration that that really made a mark with me was uh, a consultant was hired by the Alzheimer's Society a number of years ago. And he was a, a senior fellow in the company, so like a partner. And, and so everybody in the, in the um, firm knew about this contract with the society. And he talked about how people in, in the company would, you know, talk around the water cooler about cancer, about treatment and, and so on. But when they found out about the contract with the society, he said some of the employees would go into his office, shut the door, and in, in a lowered voice would then talk about their situation relevant to dementia. And that always struck me uh, that it's not public. You want to hide it. So now you're going in behind closed doors. And even at that, you're whispering. Mm. And that was, I guess, a reflection of stigma. But I guess for the example I would use is a fellow who was a longtime member of a golf course. And he loved golf, golfed a lot. He knew all the rules. And uh, he actually organized men's night and, uh, you know, would organize the room and everything, collect the money and everything. And the day after members were told that he had Alzheimer's, no one went to him for a rule. They, They then took away men's night. He, oh, don't worry about organizing it. Well, we'll look after it for you. And it's it was really just, the way they're acting is making people not want to disclose, right? Like why? Well, that, <laughs> it's, it's so. And, and that's and that's the the chicken, you know, in some ways, chicken and egg. I mean, if you don't talk about it, then they, people look at you and say, "Oh, that crazy person," um, and that's scary. But then, if you do talk about it, then bam, just like that. Oh, it's okay. We'll we'll look after it because you're deemed to be incompetent. You're incapable automatically. Wow. 
Yeah, I can think of sure. examples. I, yeah, Andrew, I was wondering if you have examples maybe from the healthcare system too. Yeah. Or I mean, I have, there are two things that really come to mind when we talk about these examples. One is I know of many cases where suddenly the decisions get taken away, similar to what Jim is talking about, but even simple decisions like what will this person eat now? Wow. What makes most sense for them? Sometimes talking to the person's spouse or adult child rather than talking to the individual directly. But there's one thing that's been in the news recently, well, I guess a couple of weeks ago, that really sticks out to me, which was when Donald Trump was reported to have taken the MOCA, which is a screening test for cognitive impairment. And he, I mean, he is ridiculous in his speech around, you know, he <laughs> aced it and blah, 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 all that nonsense. But there was a lot of making fun of him and the test and how easy it is afterwards. But the reality is, I mean, that test is set up to be an important screener for people who are having cognitive changes. And finding it easy or not is in part an indication of something that maybe needs to be diagnosed and treated and addressed in other ways. And so the, the test itself, whether or not it's easy or not, wasn't the funny part. You know, you could poke fun at Donald Trump all you want, but it was thinking of, you know, disentangling his own sort of reaction to it and his performance versus the importance of tests like that and the role that they play in helping to care for people, which I think has was, got a lost a little bit because there was a lot of poking at that, at that situation. And how harmful was him even joking about that, right? Like for promoting mm -hmm. stigma and making people afraid to take the test. Well, what if it's not easy for me? You mm -hmm. know, it's That's just right. the impact of someone with that much power making fun of a test for cognitive impairment is, is just so profound. And it, it's really, you're right, it really is making us need to think more carefully about just making fun of, you know, somebody. I mean, it is easy to make fun of Donald Trump for being ridiculous, but then also say, well, how is some of what he's also doing as being ridiculous, maybe being really stigma expanding, you know? Mm -hmm. So I want to go to a more hopeful part of the podcast, which is our last stigma question, which is how can the listeners be part of the solution? So we have all different kinds of listeners. So what do you want people to do to end stigma around aging and around Alzheimer's and dementia? Educate yourself. Be open to, to understand a bit more about about dementia and to be um, to be patient, <laughs> mm. uh, but I think it, it's I guess it, it's I don't know more understanding, but realizing realizing that the the person is the person is definitely still there. Mm. Um, I think that so often you hear that. You know, my mother doesn't recognize me, but, you know, she's not there. So why do I even bother going to to visit her? Or um, I always remember the, the story um, where the wife of a, of a man in long-term care who was living with dementia was getting ready to leave his room. And he put his hand on her arm and he said, I don't know who you are, but my heart knows I love you. Uh -huh. And, and that's, that's, 
the part that I, I, I just, I wish people would, would hear more about. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a video where a neurologist said that dementia doesn't take away your ability to be a human. Mm. Um, it, it, it often brings it out. Uh, so even though it affects the brain, uh, people use their intelligence to overcome some of their impairments. So it, it's, I guess it's a bit flippant to say it's not the end of the world because, it, you know, in some ways it is life-changing. But uh, it's a matter of, of understanding and, and realizing that you continue le- living a, potentially living a good life. You are able to contribute. And I would venture to say that even in long-term care, you're able to make a contribution. Certainly, my mother lived a good life, and, and even in long-term care. And that's what I think more people have to really understand and and uh, and educate themselves on thank you so much and i want to i'm going to ask for some links later so i can put them in your links to some of your videos and in your work as well in the bio so people can really as you said some people have watched your videos read your writing and been like oh there's hope and there's you know i can still do things in this life and also how People need to take it on themselves. You, what you said, there's a lot of information out there. Let's, let's really get everybody in the world to take a little bit of responsibility for, for learning and for also reflecting on their own biases. How about you, Andrew? What would you want the listeners to do? Yeah, I think there's, I would really advocate for people taking a chance and exposing themselves to situations that they might have otherwise found uncomfortable, mm. whether when COVID is over, whether it's taking the chance to volunteer in a long-term care home or with his Alzheimer's study program, seeking out books or movies or shows that highlight older people or people living with dementia or other impairments. We don't see a lot of representation of those things, older people's stories in our media and our Mm -hmm. literature and things like that, looking for those kinds of things and asking for more of those stories. The more you get exposed to it, I think like anything, the more you get exposed, the more you see the diversity and the variety of experiences. And I think Mm -hmm. the more you can understand how the choices that we make as a society you know, make things better or harder for people living with dementia or with other disabilities, right? So I think just taking the opportunity to really understand people's stories, individuals and across groups can really open most people's eyes to actually, oh, this is not what I thought it was. Mm. What happens within these walls is actually not what I thought happened. The reason why people come to long-term care is not because their families don't care about them and they're trying to get rid of them. There's a lot more to these stories and really understanding them, I think, just will change your perspective on, on so much. I love that. And that has been a theme across so many of these podcasts. Like there's one that's posted on children's mental health stigma. And we spoke about the need to be able to be uncomfortable a little bit in, in that sitting with uncomfort or with something new, then you can learn to not just be so afraid of, of something you don't know about. Mm-hmm. And part of that is like listening to the podcasts, you know, that you might not be interested in or reading something on something that, you know, you don't know much about. I think that's just to stretch ourselves a little bit to hear different voices that we haven't heard or new perspectives mm-hmm. and, and to unlearn, you know, some of, some of the, 
ideas and those myths. Absolutely. You know, Carmen, I, I have for a number of years, as soon as I leave the house, I put on a lanyard. And this card is on the end of the lanyard. And it says, please be patient. I have Alzheimer's disease. Oh, that's amazing. And I have worn it around my neck for ye- for a number of years. And only once has it ever really been acknowledged. Wow. Uh, where a person said, you know, good for you or thank you for wearing it because the man's partner, in fact, had been diagnosed uh, with dementia. But, but otherwise, no one ever says a thing to me about it. And mm-hmm. I wear it not only to get me out of uncomfortable situations like not knowing what I'm, what I'm doing at a coffee counter, but it's also showing, a, you know, basically a willingness to talk to people about it if you want to ask anything about it, ask me, because I'm being really upfront about it. And I've heard people, you know, whisper to <laughs> to the person they're with, you know, oh, he has Alzheimer's or whatever, but they won't say anything to me. And it, it's been really, it's been fascinating how um, it's just something that um, uh, that we really need to get over. I think that's amazing and so courageous. It reminds me of some of the, I do a lot of HIV research. A lot of the HIV activists will have teachers to say, I'm HIV positive or HIV positive. And just to try to break down the stigma, saying this is what everybody, you know, can look differently and where we exist and we're humans and you're publicly wearing something. It's an invitation maybe to, to start a conversation to, you know, ag- applaud people for their courage. And thank you for doing that. Because it's a physical, it's, it's a, a cognitive impairment. It's not physical. Mm-hmm. And I was in emergency once and, and it was really busy. And the nurse yelled out my name and my wife and I got up halfway down towards the nurse. She yelled out again, you know, patient only. And uh, so I got up to her and said, you know, I have Alzheimer's. My wife needs to be with me. And, and she looked me up and down. She's, well, you look fine. Wow. Wow. That's so, so not, that's so not good. So there we are. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. Even, I think that's a lesson that even healthcare workers need to, we need to really look at biases as well. Mm-hmm. well I know we're coming to the end of, the podcast. I don't know, Andrew, is, is there anything else you wanted to add on there before I ask you some really quick wildcard questions? No, that's, that's great. All right. So I want to know what wildcard question number one, what are you watching on Netflix? If you're watching Netflix. <laughs> I don't have Jim, Netflix. Jim, do you have Netflix? Were you watching no. it? No. Are you, do you watch it movies or anything good lately? Not really. Right. No. How about you, Andrew? Are you watching anything? Yes. My husband and I are watching Kim's Convenience. I don't oh, know if you've watched that. I haven't seen that yet. So we watch, we just recently got into Schitt's Creek and watched the whole thing I pretty love much that. over yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. And it was just wonderful. And I saw that Kim's Convenience is also on Netflix, which we hadn't watched previously. And <laughs> uh, we've been watching it. And it is just, it is hilarious and adorable. It's really sweet. Yeah. I would highly recommend it. 
That's great. I get a list of, of recipes. <laughs> this so is my, my last question for wild cards is what is a piece of life wisdom or advice that you've been given or that you've learned that you want to share with the listeners? It can be about anything to do with living life. This is a tough one. I'm so <laughs> bad at uh, spontaneous questions. Um, <laughs> I guess, I guess one thing, and this is something I struggle with. So even though I say it's a lesson, I think it's important. I, I can't say I've really implemented it very well, but it's just to take things, you know, day by day mm-hmm. and not stress too much about the future, things you can't change that are upcoming. I think, you know, that's a, it's a harder one to, to do, to live than yes. to, to talk about, but that's, that's one I still work on. I love that. So take things day by day, be present. Mm-hmm. Jim, is there any, you've shared so much life wisdom. I don't know if there's anything else you want to leave the listener with. I I guess for me, it's, it's a a case of, of acknowledging changes as, as life progresses, because thinking of what Andrea uh, said, that acknowledging that in fact, this is my new reality. My executive function is not good at the, uh, is not good and, and has been affected by, by Alzheimer's. And, and so I find that personally really frustrating, <laughs> but you know, you, you adapt and, and that's mm-hmm. what I think you really have to get. You really have to learn how to do it, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, adapt to changes and, and accept those changes. That's a great piece of advice. And we have two brilliant pieces of advice. Thank you so much. I just want to say thank you so much, both of you, for making this podcast happen. I'm so grateful. I learned so much from you. Thanks for having us. It was great to talk about. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Everybody Hates Me. Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. Join us next week for more inspiring and motivating conversations with stigma leaders from around the world. Mm-hmm.